We'll find uh, Luke 15 in your Bibles if you brought your copy of Scripture. Luke 15, and we're going to begin at verse 25. And let me tell you, if you don't remember anything that I say, I want you to remember the story that Kristen told. That story about a little girl who, uh, who learned not to suck her thumb, who put her hand under her pillow and disciplined herself so that she wouldn't suck her thumb and got a prize, and then whose sister quit sucking her thumb and got a prize and then started again and quit again and got another prize and started again and quit again and kept getting prizes when Kristen had done the right thing all along. Don't forget that story because what I'm going to say is not nearly that good, but I'm going to try, I'm going to try my best. Luke 15, beginning at verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, the servant replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has come back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you killed the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Last week we looked at the first part of that parable where a young man decided that an expansive estate that a place in the family business and the love of his father was just not enough. He decided he wanted to live the so-called high life and he would need money to do that. So he went to his father and, and demanded his inheritance, which never came until the father had died. So he was as much as saying, Dad, I'd just soon you die so I could get my money. And a, money. And a broken-hearted father signed the papers to give to his son his part of the land. And the land, uh, the young man sold the land to get his money. And um, to quote an old Willie Nelson song, spent all his money calling everybody honey and wound up singing the blues in a pig pen. And then he came to himself, the King James Version says. Others say he came to his senses. He remembered whose he was and where he belonged. And so he got up, which was that transformative moment in his life. He got up and he, and he went home. And you remember the father ran out and, and he hugged him and he loved on him. He kissed him and he welcomed him and he, he planned a party for him. Now verse 24 brings to a conclusion that portion of the story. Verse 24 uh, it says, these are the words of the father. This son of mine was dead and is alive again. He says this twice in the parable. This son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. If this were a movie, that, that's where uh, the screen would likely go blank. They would cue the credits. The dramatic move, uh, music would begin. That's the perfect point uh, to conclude the story. 
But that's not the end of the story. Verse 25 begins, meanwhile, the older son. Those four words may be the most important four words in the entire story. Meanwhile, the older son. The Bible says the father threw a party for the younger son and the older brother would not go. Friends of ours in Mount Washington, Kentucky years ago told us about their teenage daughter who was invited to a party of one of her classmates, which is a very cool thing, but then found out that her younger brother, just a year or two younger than she, was invited to the same party, which was so not cool. And she said to her parents, if my little brother's going to the party, I'm not going. Little brother didn't seem to care. He was going to a party. It didn't bother him that his big sister was going to be there, but his big sister didn't want her little brother tagging along to her party. She said, I'm not going. Furthermore, she said, I'm never going to to a party that my little brother goes to. Her parents said, if you decide not to go to parties that he goes to, you won't go to many parties. Then I won't go to many parties, she answered defiantly. I don't know the rest of the story, but if she, unless she changed her, her attitude, she missed out on a lot of good parties. The story today is of an older brother who missed out on an awfully good party. One of the servants talked to him. Maybe it happened like this. He'd been inside in, in the house, in the father's house, making sure that the, the guests had plenty of hors d'oeuvres and drinks. And, yeah, it had been a long night, so he went outside, and there he, he was taking a break when he heard, he heard a voice say, Psst, hey, waiter guy, over here. He recognized it as the voice of the oldest son of his boss. So he walked over there, and the oldest son, who had been in the field, Jesus said, asked him, what's the party about? The servant said, haven't you heard? Your younger brother was gone for a long time and had a really hard time with things, and he's come home, and your daddy is so happy that he's throwing a party for him. Come on in, the servant said. The food is delicious, the band is great, and there are lots of girls. Come in and enjoy the party. I'm not going to that party, the older brother said. Why not? I'm the one who deserves a party, not that younger brother of mine. He runs off and comes back, and people treat him like a war hero or something instead of the carouse and booze and hedonist that he is. What's a hedonist? The servant asked. Never mind, the older brother said. I'm not going to the party. But the servant went in to the party and told his boss, hey, your oldest son is outside and he refuses to come in. It wasn't long until the screen door on the back porch swung open and it was the father looking for his oldest boy. And he found him in the shadows and said, son, I hear you won't come into the party. What's wrong? I'm the one who deserves a party, the older brother said, and not my younger brother. He runs off and comes back and people treat him like a war hero or something instead of the booze and carouse and hedonist he is. What's a hedonist, his father asked. Never mind, said the older brother. I'm not going uh, to the party. A few years ago on Mother's Day, I 
I talk about a painting by Rembrandt in which he depicts the return of the prodigal son. And, and there's, a, there's a young man in tattered clothes kneeling at the feet of a man in regal clothes who's obviously the father. And this is the prodigal son who's come home. That day I talked about the two hands. Rembrandt made a point of two different kind of hands on the back of the prodigal son. One is strong and looks very masculine. The other smaller looks more feminine. And, and Rembrandt's point, experts say, was to depict both the, 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 the fatherly and even the motherly nature to, to God. But in that painting there's also a third figure, also dressed in very fine clothes, looking down at the two, literally looking down his nose at the, at the prodigal son, his little brother. And you can see it in his face, the disdain. His, his anger that the father would be so gracious to his little brother. Now, that's not exactly how it happened, of course. Jesus tells us that the father, I mean, the older brother was in a field, and he came back and found the party. But, but Rembrandt captures that, that older brother's pomposity, his arrogance, his self-righteousness, his disdain for the one who had been gone and now come home. There are at least two reasons why the older brother refused to go to the party. First, he was, he was self-absorbed, jealous, and resentful. It's easy to understand his resentment, isn't it? It's hard to be there for somebody all along and then, and then to have some young upstart come along and, and get the party. Do you remember Jalen Hurts? He was a quarterback at the University of Alabama. If you're not an Alabama fan, please don't tune me out. Just hang in there with me for a minute. Jalen Hurts was the quarterback for Alabama in the, in the 2017 season. He led them to an almost undefeated year. They lost to one team. Anybody know who it was? Auburn. Thank you. They lost to Auburn. And the reason I make that clear is because I made a grave mistake this year, I mean this week. You know, I tape for what we call TV or Tennessee Valley Church. I taped that message on Wednesdays, and, and I didn't, I just wasn't thinking. And I, in my message, I said that, um, that Jalen Hurts led them to an undefeated season in 2017. I failed to mention that they lost to Auburn. I'm going to get hate mail, I know, when people, when people see that. So I wanted to go on the record saying, I know they lost to Auburn. And that then, we weren't sure if they're going to get into the to the, 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 the playoff, the, the, you know, the final four, if you will, the playoff. In fact, I remember some men in this sanctuary, some of them are here now. The announcement was coming out at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. Some of them, instead of listening to me preach, were watching their phones to see if Alabama, weren't they Johnny Kirk? You remember, you remember that? But they got in. Johnny came out. Instead of saying, preacher, that was a good sermon, he said, they got in. They got in. I remember that. And then they, they, then they won. To, they beat Clemson. And then they were in the national championship game. It was January the 8th, 2018. And they were losing to Georgia 13 to nothing at halftime. 
And uh, Coach Saban did something that surprised even the, the college football experts. He went to Jalen Hurts, who had led them so well, gotten them to the national championship. And he said, Jalen, I'm, I'm going to start somebody else in the second half. I'm going to start a freshman, Tua Tongovailoa. And do you remember how Jalen Hurts responded? He cheered for Tua. He cheered for his team when they won. And they came back and they, and they won the game. And, and Jalen Hurts was such a great teammate. We will remember him not for his, his talent, but for his character. Now, he, he came back the next year. Tua got hurt and he played wonderfully. Then he went to Oklahoma and played wonderfully. Now he's playing with the, for the Philadelphia Eagles. So it turned out okay for Jalen. But we will remember him because he was there all along. And then some young upstart came along and and they threw the party for somebody else. That had to be hard. I'm not sure I would have been so mature. I'm not sure I would have been such a good teammate. I'm afraid that if they had taken that from me, I would have gone to the sideline and I would have gotten on the back and maybe, just maybe, wish that Tua would throw a few interceptions. Jalen said, that day made me who I am. I wouldn't change it for the world. If Jalen had been resentful, it would have cost him lots of wonderful celebrations. And if we're not careful, resentment will rob us of the party. I remember 20 years ago when I was choosing not to go to the party. For the life of me, I cannot remember what it was, but I was resentful. I remember moping around and pouting. I was resentful over something. I, I hadn't gotten, I'm sure, something I'd wanted, or maybe somebody I didn't like got something I'd wanted. I don't remember exactly, but I remember that I was not enjoying life, and I was choosing not to enjoy life. I was so resentful that I was not enjoying the wonderful life that I had. And then I picked up a book, titled, He Still Moved, Moves Stones by Max Lucado. And he was talking about the prodigal son's older brother, the older brother in the story. And he said this, you can choose like many to chain yourself to your hurt, or you can choose like some to put away your hurts before they become hates. You can choose to go to the party. You have a place there. Your name is beside a plate. I read that in my office, and I went home and I told Carrie, I'm going to the party. And I apologized for being such a sourpuss and for being so mopey and dopey and pouty. I had a wonderful life that I was missing because of something else that I wanted. Resentment will keep you from a lot of good parties. The older brother missed a really good party because, it, because he wasn't big enough to celebrate uh, with somebody else. But there's a second reason that the older brother just couldn't bring himself to go to the party. He was so self-righteous, so spiritually arrogant, 
so pious and pompous that he could not he could not accept the grace that was extended to his younger brother. He couldn't believe that his father would be gracious toward such a prodigal. The elder brother had it looked like the model son on the outside. While the prodigal was off prodigalizing. The older brother was home. He was conscientious and consistent and compliant. They could count on him to keep his nose clean and to carry his share and his brother's share of the load. Remember, his brother had left them. We wouldn't have been surprised if when the prodigal son came home, his older brother had said, why can't you be like your big brother? But all was not as appeared. Beneath the older brother's facade of loyalty and morality, there beat a bitter heart. There was a dark side to his goodness, and there often is. People who walk the straight and narrow sometimes have a hard time being gracious to people who fall off in a ditch. People who walk the, fa- the, the straight and narrow often have a hard time being gracious to people who fall off in a ditch. And in many ways, uh, the elder son is to be more pitied. In many ways, the elder son is to be more pitied than the prodigal. That's why Jesus said to religious leaders in Matthew 21, 31, the tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. Wow, that had to sting. Can you imagine how angry they became when he he said to them, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are going to be ahead of you in line when it comes to the kingdom of God? And maybe that's the point of the story. Maybe that's the point of the story. Perhaps the prodigal in a pig pen was purely a prelude to the primary point of the prodigal. Maybe that's the point. Maybe this is not the story of the prodigal son. Maybe this is the story of people who remain home and keep their nose clean and do the right thing and follow all the rules. And then resent it when the Father extends grace uh, to people who've wallowed around in a pig pen. Maybe the story of the, of the prodigal and the pig pen, maybe they're just preludes. Maybe, that, they just kind of, maybe Jesus was just kind of setting people up. So he tells the story of a young man who goes to sow his wild oats and he really messes up and he feels sorry and he comes home and daddy welcomes him. And maybe the religious people who were listening, maybe they thought, well, this is just another feel good preacher story. And then when the father said, my son was gone and lost and now he's found, he was dead and now he's alive, let's have a party. Maybe they gathered their things to go home. And maybe Jesus paused dramatically and said, meanwhile, the older son, 
maybe the first half of the story was just setting people up to listen to the second half. That would be consistent with Jesus' ministry. He always was far more put out with the older son types than he was with the prodigal son types. Remember the story of the woman caught in adultery? Jesus was preaching at the temple. The religious leaders came and threw the woman down in front of him, interrupted the sermon. They threw him down in front of him and said, the law of Moses says she should be stoned. Do you want us to stone her? And Jesus doodled a little bit and he said, you remember, he said, let the one who's without sin throw the first stone. Now he didn't let her off the hook. He said to her, go and sin no more. But who's the bad guy in that story? It's not the woman on the ground. It's not the prodigal. It's those older brothers standing around with rocks in their hands. They're the bad guys in the story. Jesus was always more put out with the older brother types than he was with the prodigal types. Remember the Pharisee and the tax collector went to the temple to pray. The tax collector beat his chest and, and cried, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And the Pharisee, remember, looked down at him and said, Lord, I sure am glad I'm not like that dude. Jesus asked, which one of the two went home right with God? It was the tax collector. Not, it was the prodigal. Not the big brother. I wonder if the story is not the story of the prodigal son, but the story of people who don't like prodigals. I wonder if the real audience of the story is people like you and me, like most of us, who stay at home and keep our nose clean and follow the rules. So when, when you're driving down the road and you pass a so-called gentleman's club, does your heart break for people on the inside looking for love in all the wrong places? Or do, you, or do you look with disdain toward those whose cars are in the parking lot? When a gay nightclub is bombed, does your heart break for the loss of precious life? Or is there, is there a little part of your heart that says they got what was coming to them? You see on the news a, a drive-by shooting. Do you think, ah, probably shouldn't have been there in the first place? Or do you think there but for the grace of God go I? I wonder if the primary audience of this parable is not the prodigal, but elder brothers and elder sisters. Well, here's the good news. Both elder brothers and elder sisters and prodigal sons and daughters all get invited to the party. The father threw the son through the party for his younger son, but then he said to his older brother, my son, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. Your little brother, it's like he was dead and is alive, was lost, but now he's found. But, but son, I want you at the party too. This is not just about your little brother. My party will never be complete until both of you understand 
that you need grace. Friday night, and I can't wait, and I'm not going to tell you where I'm going to be, or you'll come and yell mean things at me, so I'm not going to tell you. But I've got a, I've got a good, good game coming up Friday night, and I'm so excited. And um, I, love, I love officiating football. It's like uh, I love the Friday night lights, and I love the game. And I also love the camaraderie of officials. It's really just a great group. And uh, I've had over the I've been doing this a long time. Over the years, I've gotten to do weddings of officials. I've gotten to do funerals of officials and their family members. I've been in lots of hospital rooms of officials and family members. And one day in Richmond, I got, a, I got to do part of a, or I was one of the two ministers who did a, a part of a funeral service for the adult daughter of one of our officials. The other, the other minister talked about um, that beautiful metaphor in Revelation about the party, about the wedding supper of the Lamb. He talked about Revelation 19, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb, the Bible says in that powerful chapter. And the preacher emphasized the invitation to the banquet, and he said, and I wrote it down, it don't matter how big your house is, or how long your list of friends is, or how many flowers surround your casket. What matters is your invitation. And all of us. Those who've wallowed in a pig pen, and those who stayed home and kept our noses clean, all of us are invited to the party and prodigals are not the only ones in desperate need of grace.